Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. I want to ask you a question. How many in this place, I felt this morning led to do this in prayer. How many in this place, by show of a raised hand, you'd say, you know what, I need God to move in my body physically. I need a miracle. Amen, lots and lots of hands. Would you do one more thing for me? Would you stand up? I'm not gonna make you do any more than this. Just stand up. Just stand up. This is why healing is so important. Amen. I love the fact that we have doctors. I have a great doctor, and he does great things for me. But you know what? There comes a time when modern medicine, medical intervention, and all of that cannot accomplish what is necessary. And that's where we need the supernatural. We need the healing power of Jesus. And the great news is this today, is that Jesus died on a cross. He submitted to that crucifixion. He allowed, listen to my words, he allowed his body to be broken so that we could be healed. He submitted to his broken body. He submitted to the whipping and the beating and the breaking of his body so that we could be healed. Think about that for a moment. He didn't have to do that. He did it because he wants to heal you. You know, so many times we wonder, do you want to heal me, God? Well, let me, let me make sure that you understand. Not only does he want to, he paid the price for it. It's paid, done, paid, past tense. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to believe God for your healing, your miracle. So those of you that are sitting around these that are standing, if you could just reach over and lay a hand on them or whatever, or if you just need to, just join your faith with me. And we're going to believe God right now for miracles in this place. Father, we come boldly before your throne right now. We thank you that your body was broken for us. We thank you that you paid the price for our healing, that we could walk completely free of sickness and disease, that all pain is gone. And Lord, right now we declare in the name of Jesus Christ that these that are standing are healed in Jesus' name. We declare complete and whole healing right now. And Father, we send the word as your word says in Psalms 107, 20 that you sent your word and you healed them and you delivered them from all their destruction. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus we declare, God, miracles to move in this place. Healing God, where medical intervention said we can't. God, you said I can and I will. And right now, healing in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the spirit of infirmity. We bind pain in the name of Jesus. And Father, we release your supernatural power to move in this place right now. And God, we give you the glory for it. And we thank you right now for what you're doing. We thank you for every miracle standing in this place in the name of Jesus. And we give you the glory. Glory, God, right now. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Just thank him right now. Thank him. Father, we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Jesus. We're going to get excited one way or the other. My friend over here, Mike Fields, he's an electrician. He's an industrial electrician. We've come up with a plan <clears throat> to wire all the seats with 220. And I'm going to have a button right here. And if you're all kind of like, yeah, you know, thank you, Jesus. Bow, hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. 
I think there's something when, you know, when, when Christians get excited, it rattles hell, let me tell you. Because see, something, there's something about you go, well, you know, I don't know. Do I really need to be excited? Yeah, you need to be excited. We need to communicate that. It's, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. Can you say amen? And we need that. Can you say amen to that? Well, before we get into our, our message today, there's a couple things that I want to address real quick and go, uh-oh. No, this, I just want explanation. I've discovered <laughs> after 53 and a half years of living, or actually three quarters, year, 353 and three quarters years of living, that um, misinformation really is a drag. Oh, yeah. And the, the, the antidote for misinformation is just to give you the correct information. Um, it has come to my attention that there, people have come to me and they've asked me some questions and there's been a common question is, why do we, we, why do, we do the song services the way we do? Why do we do a couple songs and then have offering announcements and then we sing again? Well, the reason that we do that is because I felt like that entering into ministry from the time of praise and worship was much more efficient we, we, we spend all this time developing this platform and presence. We create this atmosphere, and then we, we hammer it with business. And so, you know, the business is necessary. It's important. We need to do that. But the reason that we come back and sing is because what's more important is his presence. Now, now I'm not a novice. Don't misunderstand. I know his presence isn't scurried away because we take an offering or do announcements. But it is our connection to that presence that come, comes into a, a place. And so when we sing, there's, that's why Psalms was written, is because it connects us to that presence. Look at, is, if you, how many are saved? Raise your hand. Okay, those that you didn't, we'll have an altar call after. Um, <clears throat> uh, those of you that are saved, there's not a place you go or a time that you live where God's presence isn't with you. But it's not always his manifest presence, okay? And it's in those special moments when we're worshiping that his manifest presence comes and we connect with that presence. So we develop that, we want that, and we want to minister into that. So that's why we do what we do. Does that make sense? Okay. The other thing that I wanted to say, because I've had this question as well, is uh, why do we celebrate Halloween? It's my birthday. That's exactly why. There you go. I hope all of you online heard it. It's Debbie's birthday, and that's it. Aside from Debbie's birthday, there's actually another reason. Maybe not quite as important, but we are not celebrating Halloween. No, we, 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 we're not going to give the devil credit for a holiday. What we are doing is capitalizing on tradition in our society that draws lots of people out to where we can minister to them. And so what happens on Halloween is we'll have anywhere from three to 4,000 people, <clears> thousand <throat> people in our parking. You should come to one of our trick or trunk or treats. And so what we do is we, not only are we giving them candy, we always put information about our church to where they could come. And then all the people that are, you know, little people will come up and even some grown up people that I'm not sure why they're trick or treating. But anyway, they feel they need to and, you know, um, see, when you're a kid, it's really cute. It's called trick-or-treating. When you're an adult, it's begging. And I was, uh, uh, but, that, but, but I digress. That's, that, that's just, that's just my, my opinion. But, and you don't have to ha share that opinion. But anyway, <clears throat> um, 
What we wanna do is we wanna get information into their hand, plus they have to go through about 40 cars of people filled with Christians that are going, Jesus loves you, man, Jesus loves you, Jesus. And we're giving them a safe environment in which to celebrate their tradition. And so it's a service unto our community and it's an outreach. And this is why we do what we do. It's because we're, you know, it's, please don't get hung up in all that. We can be afraid of the devil or we can beat him with his own game. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can, we can go, you know what, devil, you're a liar and you're not gonna capitalize on it. We are, and we're gonna beat you at your own game. So, so now having said that, um, I say that with all love and grace and kindness and, and, and we'll get to our sermon, amen. Isn't God good? Man, he's a good God. You gotta love him. I told you last week we began a little mini-series on the subject of trust and and we took the time to look at this idea of trust, and, and in particular, we're looking at specifically trusting God. I mean, I think that's right now is probably something that we really need to capitalize on. And I, I have to say, I, this, let me just say this about my sermons. Oftentimes, my sermons, if you were to go to my house and if you were to look at my sermons in chronological order, what you're going to see is you're gonna see somewhat of a log of what God's doing in me. I'd like to tell you that, that, that I am separate from the church in the sense that I just, you know, it's all about you. The, the reality is, is, is somewhere along the line, God is dealing with me and he is moving in me. So these sermons, I could tell you, are not coming out of a book or a, they're not a service. I'm not going on, you know, 1-800-dial-a-sermon or whatever and, and getting a sermon. I could tell you this is what God is dealing with me. And I told you last week that this passage of Scripture that we're about to read has been just sitting very heavy very heavy on my life, not only for my life, but I think for the church as well. And, I, and the thing that's amazing to me is I listen to other people preach around the nation, this passage of scripture is coming up often. So what I know about that is I know that God really is speaking to the body of Christ because there is a dynamic in this that he wants us to understand. And so trust really is a significant issue in the kingdom of God and our walk with Jesus. So with that in mind, I want you to listen to this text. It's Proverbs chapter three, starting in verse number five, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, like I said to you last week, there is a whole lot being said in this. And this is something that we can base our everyday Christian life on. Not the, you know, the pie in the sky, super spiritual, super theological notions that we oftentimes come up with, but we can come to this and have very real practical theological understanding that is very supernatural in nature that will help us through daily life. 
And he says these words. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This is very similar to the statement that Jesus makes when talking about the greatest command. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, all of your soul, all your strength, all of that. So in other words, he's saying, just like how I want you to love me, I want you to trust me with all of your being, with everything. I want you to trust me with everything, with all of your heart. In other words, this has got kind of a double meaning. It's both not only uh, talking about everything, the most precious thing that we have in our lives is our heart. It's the central uh, place or the central part of who we are, but he's also talking about the priority of what we have. I want you to trust me with everything. I want you to trust me with all that you are and all that you have. Does that make sense this morning? And then he tells us how to do it. He says, I don't want you to lean on your own understanding. I don't want you to try to figure things out. This is the death nail to faith, is when we try to figure it out. Let me tell you something. There are going to be times in your walk with God where you are not going to be able to figure things out. It's not going to look like it's supposed to look. It's not going to work like it's supposed to work. It's not going to be in the time you think it should be. It's oftentimes going to be very different. But God says, don't try to figure it out. But instead, what I want you to do is acknowledge me in everything that you do. And then the result of the acknowledgement that I'm in it is I will direct your path. I will lead you. And sometimes in that, God shows us a little ways down the road. Sometimes he shows us the next step. And we have to get used to that. And church, if you're going to have a, su a successful Christian walk, you're going to, to some degree, have to get used to the mystery of what's ahead. Because we won't always understand it. But this is why he says this, trust me, because you can trust I'm not going to lead you into harm. I'm not going to lead you into something that's going to hurt you. I'm not going to lead you into something that's against you. I am going to take you through things, and I'm going to bring you to places that are going to be wild and crazy, and I'm going to do stuff that you don't understand, but it is always going to be for your benefit and my glory. Amen. Are you hearing me? Amen. Then he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. But he says, instead, fear the Lord. In other words, it, it, it's this wise in your own eyes, it's a, it's a thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, I'm thinking that, hey, you know, I got this. I can handle this. I don't need God. I'm good on my own. And depart from evil. He's not just talking about evil in the sense of some sort of wickedness, but this, this statement really does lend us to understand the evil of doubt that we are to fear the Lord, that we are to uh, uh, not be wise in our own eyes, but reverence and fear and understand who he is, therefore departing from evil. And he says, that will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Do you notice how there is always this, if you will do this, then this will be the natural logical result of you doing it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then he says, <clears throat> honor the Lord with your possessions. That means all of them. And with the first fruits of your increase. He goes, so that or so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And all of this requires trust. Can you say amen? So the question then becomes, well, what is this thing called trust? 
What is it? Well, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew definition for the word trust here, the Hebrew word, it literally means to have confidence or to be confident, to be bold, to be secure, to feel safe. And in all of it, the implication, the underlying understanding of this word is in relationship. See, all of those things that we're talking about, confidence or conf- being confident or being bold, being secure, being safe, is, is, it's that thing of relationship. The deeper the relationship, the deeper the trust. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The, the further we go in him, the f- more we are confident in him, the more we feel safe in him. See, the reality is, church, the reason that so many people struggle is because we never get past the doorway. We, we've talked about that before in sermons in the past, you know, Jesus being the door of the sheepfold, we are invited into salvation through the door called Jesus, but then there's a whole world, there's a whole dynamic, there's a whole uh, 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 reality beyond that, that the Bible says faith will explore what God will re- reveal, but we hang out at the door. We don't leave the door because we're afraid. It's like, well, what if, what if? What if you stay at the door? You're going to miss out on a lot. That's where the trust comes in. Can you say amen? And all of that is through the development of relationship. Are you hearing, hearing me? That's why we talk about relationship all the time. Throughout Scripture, we see very clear pictures of this kind of trust working within relationship. Think of Joseph who trusted God while he was in Pharaoh's prison. Think about that for a moment. Just think, here you are spending 14, 15, I'm not sure, but it's 14, 15, 16 years of your life in prison because you were accused falsely. You are legitimately innocent and you're being forgotten. That does not seem very fair to me. That doesn't seem very righteous to me. In fact, my mind, I'll just give you my mind, my mind says God could have opened the door. He could have blinded the, oh wait, he did that in the book of Acts, didn't he? So he knows how to do it, so why did he leave Joseph there? Well, it requires that in that context we trust. I don't know why this is happening to me, but I trust that God is doing something. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Then we move on to Noah. Noah trusted when he was told to build a boat in the middle of a desert. It doesn't make sense. He doesn't even really understand it. It's not like he can look at an example of another boat somewhere. This is the first boat ever being built. He doesn't understand what a flood is. He doesn't even know what rain is at this point because the earth was always watered by the dew that would come up from the ground. And somehow all this is happening, and yet uh, uh, Noah trusts God in this construction of a boat for this great cataclysmic event. I mean, this is pretty intense. The deeper the relationship, the deeper the trust. Moses (coughs) trusted God to deliver the Israelites at the Red Sea. I mean, you know the story. Their backs are against the Red Sea. Pharaoh is coming. He's angry. He's dead set on killing them. There is no out this way or that way. They're surrounded. The only way is to go into the water. And God says, go, I'll make a way. You got to step in the water. 
And he did. He stepped in the water and the water parted. And we know the story. And it's easy on this side. It's easy on that side of the Red Sea to trust God. But on this side of the Red Sea, it's a whole nother story, isn't it? Okay, how about David when he trusted God for victory when he went up against Goliath? I mean, that same spirit that had stymied the armies of the Lord, the armies of Israel, that had them shaking, because if you go back and you read, you'll read that they, they were literally shaking in their tent. They were so afraid. Was it because they hadn't seen giants before? No, but there's a spiritual dynamic that's at work that's bringing about a spirit of fear. That same thing is attacking, no doubt, David, but David trusts God, rises above it, and says, look it, I've been here before, and God always comes through. Deeper the relationship, deeper the trust. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, for I know in whom I trust. That word know is talking about an intimate relationship. He's talking about something where on the inside he came to know God. I've experienced God. I don't just have information about him. That's why, church, let me, can can I go on a bunny trail just for a moment? That's why we do what we do is because we are actively, aggressively going after the experience. You say, well, why, why would you want that experience? Why not? I want, you know, when I think about my wife, I want that experience. I want to know her. I want to love her. I want to be with her. I want to hear her voice. I want to hold her hand. I, I, I want that experience. When my grandchildren come over, I, it's not like I go, okay, you kids, we're going to put you up on the shelf, and we're just going to sit there and look at you, and we're just going to get some information about you. I want to get on the floor and I want to play with them. I want to have an experience with them. One of the worst things you can do is watch fishing on TV because you want to go fishing. I want to throw my line in the water. Or going golfing. Have you ever watched golf on TV? After a while, it's like, I got to go golf. You, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe that's not your bag. Maybe it's cooking. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's stamp collecting. I don't know what your thing is, but somewhere when you watch it, it moves on you and you go, I got to get out of watching. I need to get involved. Are you hearing me? And that's why we're going after the experience. But see, the experience is not for experience itself. This is where people get lost. Oh yeah, you just want to be wild and crazy. No, I don't. My personality is not, I am not a wild and crazy guy. That's not me. But, don't throw me off. I'm not a wild and crazy guy. Steve Martin. Anyway, that's a little bit dated. I don't know. But the reality is, I like, actually, the other day, Kathy and I are just driving along and in the car, and I said, you know, we're getting to be old. And, I, and I'm not really that old. I'm not the ancient of the days, but I like driving around with my wife, looking at things. In the air conditioning, tinted windows, I don't want a lot of sun on me. And I don't want nobody bugging me. And I don't want you in front of me. I don't want you being slow in front of me or fast behind me. Get out of there. Leave me alone. I just want to drive. I just want to cruise, fra, bra. You know, just kind of go along. I just, I just want to do my thing. Okay? 
And so somewhere along, I don't even know how I got on that. So I'm not a wild and crazy guy. So we're not doing the experience so that we could just say, hey, we had an experience. We, we want to go after the experience. We want the manifest presence of God so we know him, Amen. so we experience him. The Bible says, says taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to I, I want, I, I, I taste him. I, you know, you know we, Kathy and I always watch cooking shows. We like Chopped. We like... Um, uh, beat Bobby, we love beat Bobby Flay. We love that. <clears throat> and they're always cooking something we know, especially her. She, she's got a lot bigger palate than I do. But it's like, I want to taste that. They were, the other day, the, the competition was huevos rancheros. And it's like, green sauce or red sauce? And she goes, both. I want to try it. I don't want to watch that. Let's go get huevos rancheros. Hence the size we are. We got to stop watching cooking TVs. Anyway, the point is, is you want it. You want to know it. You want to taste it. You want to see it. Why? Because something is birthed in that knowledge. Church, if we just, if we just relegate ourselves to spectators, you will never know him. And if you don't know him, you won't be able to trust him. The dominoes start falling quick. Can you see what I'm saying? And so what do we do? We want to know him. But listen, trust also, not only is it relationship, but trust also implies a willingness to let go, to relax, to rest, to submit. I am not so good here. I will admit it. Get it, record it. John Poole, wait, John Poole is a control freak. I do not like being out of control. So yesterday, we have the bright idea to go, we went with the, pray, or the Praise Chapel, the New Life Church uh, off-road runners. We went, in, we went four-wheeling, and Jerry Zitterkoff, he's got this really cool, I don't even know what you call it, what is it called, Andy? Side by side, really nice, it's fancy, it's, it's fast, and it's four-wheel drive and all of that. Well, they're, and we're, going, we're out in the wilderness, man. I mean, we're out hardcore in the Wallapies. And, and, and so we get down through this place, and then finally Jerry stops and goes, Hey, Kathy, you want to drive? What? What? So they put me in the back seat. Now, fortunately, in the back seat, there is a handle that's got now my f- fingerprints in it because my wife loves to favor the side of the cliff. I'm like, dear, I'm, I am say, go ask Jerry. I go, hey, Kathy, you got eight feet over here. Let's move over. Somebody could pass us on this side. Let's, let's get over here. She's, and, and then, you know, she's talking and looking and and I'm like, oh my God, I'm freaked out. And it's, I can hear her. She didn't say it, but I could hear her. I could hear her in her brain say, relax, enjoy the air, enjoy the ride. And I'm like, I can't relax. I don't let go well. And so I'm hanging on so tight and it dawns on me. If we go off the cliff, I will hang on to the very thing that's going to kill me. Yeah. 
I'm going to hang on to this machine all the way to the crash site. All the way. I'm gonna, I'm, it's, and there's gonna, have you ever seen those old 70 movies where the car goes off and it blows up? How does the car always blow up? Anyway, I, there's a whole lot of physics that's wrong there. But anyway, in my imagination, this four by floor is blowing up with me hanging on. And that's like Christianity. God's like, I got this, man. Let go. Enjoy the ride. Relax. That's trust. That's a little harder. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Trusting means this morning that we have to admit that we're not in control. I'm going to give you some really tough news to swallow. I know I like to think so, and I know you like to think so, that you're in charge of your life, but you're not. Even if Jesus is not in charge of your life, then the temporary feelings that travel through your life are. I'll say it again because that kind of went over and then hit the wall and came back. If Jesus ain't in charge of your life, then the temporary things that travel through our life are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Proverbs 3, 5 says, don't lean to your own understanding. And that's where we fall short because we're not trusting. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out how do I hang on to this thing? How do I ride this to the bottom? Are you hearing me? Trust, trusting God means that we view our circumstances through the eyes of faith and not through the eyes of perception. Are you hearing me? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that, that we walk by faith, not by sight. This is a very popular uh, portion of scripture. I, I mean, Christians across the board, across all uh, 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 theological belief systems will quote that, that faith, that we walk by faith and not by sight. Yet when it comes to hard, difficult times, we are anything but in faith. Think about Job. Has anybody ever read the book of Job? Raise your hand if you have. I mean, I read it one time. I sat down and read the whole book from beginning to end in one setting. It takes on a new flavor because it's like now it's like a story. It's like this unfolding of a story. And in Job, I, I mean, I'm just amazed because this is a guy. I, I have to be honest with you. I don't really like the book of Job because it starts off to me kind of like a cosmic gambling hall. I mean, I picture it, just you got to think about it. You gotta, you, if you've read it, you know the story. The devil comes in from doing whatever he's doing. He walks before the Lord. He stands before God, which that already upsets all the doctrine. And he's standing before God. And God says, what you been doing? And the devil says, well, I've been looking for somebody to tempt and to destroy. Oh, okay. Have you considered my servant Job? What? What? No, no, get the picture. What have you been doing, devil? Well, I've been looking for somebody to destroy. I've been looking for somebody that I can tempt. I've been looking for somebody that I can take out. Oh, okay. Have you considered my servant Job? I don't like that. And then, the, I mean, just the fact that the devil's in front of God, I don't like, it throws my doctrine and weirds me out. Anyway... So he's there, 
And God then offers up Job. And the devil goes, well, I've tried, but I can't. And he says, the reason I can't, you've built a hedge around him. He's protected. He goes, but I'll tell you what, God, I'll bet you anything. I'll bet you anything. If you took that hedge down, he'd turn on you that quick. And God goes, okay, do what you want. You just can't kill him. What? And then the story of Job unfolds. And the amazing thing is in Job 13, 15, all of this is going on. We're not really understanding. I am certain that there are realities that are going on here in the background that we either don't know or we cannot appreciate or understand. But in the midst of Job's crisis, in Job 13, 15, the Bible says, Job speaking, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Holy cow. When I grew up, I want to be like that guy. I mean, this guy has <laughs> lost. I mean, this statement does seem a little melodramatic, doesn't it? It seems like, well, Job, come on. But when you think about what Job is living through, he has by all accounts lost everything, his family, his wealth, and his health, his friends. And right in the midst of it, all of this, his wife even comes up to him. And she says this, it's in chapter three, you can read it later. In chapter three, I think around verse 20, he, she walks up and she says, why are you hanging on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, what a support system. Yet Job rests in this thing because he looks beyond his circumstances. Somewhere in the midst of his own chaos, in the midst of his own confusion, in the midst of all that's going on, Job looks beyond the circumstances and he rests as best as he can in the sovereignty of God and he trusts the providence of God. What does that mean? That means that Job knew the power of God, he knew the majesty of God, and he knew the absolute love of God and wisdom. And you know what? We know that Job struggled. Nobody's going to deny the reality of Job's struggle. And we know that oftentimes there was questions, but he did not turn his back on God. He stayed firm. Can you say amen? Because he understood that nothing that happened to him was out of God's knowledge or out of his control. Now, I want, you, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it. Please, please don't shout it out, okay? Don't shout the answer out. I just want you to think. Is God, is God really good? Now, when I say really good, I'm not talking about is he really good like is in volume. Is God really, or factually, is it true that God is good? It, I, know, I know that it may seem like a strange question, and I know that it may seem even a little silly to ask that question. But I'm very serious when I ask this because, listen, everything in your Christian life is going to hang in the balance on this. And you say, why is that? Because this, the answer to this, the essence of all that we are, the essence of the power to stand in courage and faith and trust, come from our understanding of God. Are you hearing me? A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Are you hearing me? See, when you think about him, is he all-powerful or is he limited? When you think about him, is he a very present help 
or is he hard to find? Is he loving and intimate or is he distant and cold? Is he faithful or is he flaky? Is he willing or is he unwilling? Is he filled with joy or is he a killjoy? What is he? And here's the thing, most of us can't always answer this in the positive. I want you to think about this for a moment. I, I, I want to unpack this a little bit with you, the psychology of what I'm talking about. See, here's the problem. When things are going good, it's absolutely easy to say God's a good God. But when everything is against you, can you still say, God, you're a good God? It is hard. It's very difficult. And here's the problem. Unless we settle the issue of who God is, unless we absolutely put the thing to rest that says God is good all the time, and he's all the time good, until we put that to rest, we will vacillate. Yes. Come on. We, we will vacillate. And what will happen is long as things are going really, really well, we'll have great faith, we'll have great trust, we'll look at God and it'll be favorable. But when things go bad, we begin to question and we wonder even if he's alive, if he's real. Yeah. That happens all the time in Christianity. Are you hearing me? We just vacillate. This is oftentimes, this vacillation that we're talking about right here is the very heart of the counseling that we do all the time. Because what people are, are, are trying to figure out is they're trying to figure out, is God for me? See, somewhere along the line, we think that because life went sideways and negative that God has checked out and I can't trust him anymore. That is absolutely not true. We can find example after example after example in the Word of God where things got difficult, but God didn't check out. Are you hearing me? Yes. <clears throat> he was working something out. And just like we sang in the song, we have to know that though the devil means it, means it for evil, God will always use it for good. Yes. Are you hearing me? And we can trust that. We can trust him. See, when our understanding of him is diminished, so is our courage in him diminished. Are you hearing me? But if our understanding is correct, we become unstoppable for the kingdom. Here's our problem. Let me, let me share something with you. This is the problem, church, and this is why I ask these questions, because I want you to think. So, if I were to ask you the question, don't shout out the answer, is God good? We would all give the right answer. But not all of us would give the real answer. The right answer is this. Well, of course he's good. He's good. That's what's expected to be said. But the problem is, is oftentimes we harbor within ourselves another answer that's more real than the right one, and that is, I don't think he's so good. That's what we've got to solve. We've got to come to the place that it, it, it's, I don't care. This is where Job came. He says, I don't care what he's doing. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if every one of you leave this church and we lose this building and I'm sitting in that park under a tree having church. I'm called to Kingman, Arizona and pastor this church. End of conversation. 
That don't matter. See, you know, you said, where do you learn? Where did you learn that? I learned that in needles. I remember Howard Pennington said to me, he goes, you know, if you want to be successful in needles, you got to go down there and die. That sounded a little ominous. In other words, what he was saying is you go down there and you make that home and you get determined and you stand. And when you stand, you hold to him. You stand. I don't know what he's up to. I can't control everything, but I trust him. I can't see sometimes past my nose, but I trust him. He is good and he is my God. He is my father and he's good to me. And I'm gonna trust him. The other day I was here at the church and I was in prayer. And I was actually here in the, in the front and I was just kind of pacing in the altar area. And I was praying about circumstances and some issues and some problems that I have to deal with. And, and quite honestly, I just didn't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. What, to, you know, what do I say? What do I do? How do we fix this? And I'm praying, you know, just talking to God. And finally, in my prayer, kind of a little bit frustrated, I said out to God, okay, God, what do you want to say in this? What do you want to say to me concerning these things? And I'm telling you, as clear as I'm sitting here within my spirit, this is what I heard. Hold. And I knew at that moment, that one word he said, hold, I knew at that one moment that what he was saying is don't do anything. I want you to hold your ground. You stand and you wait. Stand, hold your ground, wait on me. You don't move, don't do anything. Well, that's, to a control freak, that, that's hard, that's hard. Because I want to go fix it. But somewhere what I had to do, so I went in, it was on a Tuesday, and I believe it was in staff, is that right, Alex? I went into staff meeting, and I said, I said, this is what God told me. Told me to hold. Hold. Don't do anything. So I was telling staff, and part of the reason I told staff is I need a little bit of accountability. I needed somebody to help hold me because I wanted to go do something. And I needed the people look at me and go, hey, wait, God told you to hold. And see, somewhere what we gotta do is get to that place where we trust him. And you know what? Let me tell you something, church. I, 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 I did that. I held. I holded. Held. I don't know how to say that. Proper English. Yeah, I got a high school education. So anyway, I, I, I did that. And God came through. I mean, he came through in a big way. It was like, holy cow, I need to stand still more often. I think that's, and I think that's the thing. If we get out of the way, if we'll just get out of the way, he'll do, he'll do things we can't even imagine. So I, I, I kind of want to bring this to an end. And, and, and I, I admit that right now, I know this morning I'm going to say this to you, and, and, and we're almost done. But I want to say this to you. I know that this is pretty basic, Okay. But I, I, I sometimes what we have to do is get back to basics. Yes. If you were to talk to any coach on the planet, you'll, they'll tell you that more often than not, what they do with the athlete, the star athlete, is to remind him or her of the basics. Uh, a few years back, uh, Tiger Woods, who's one of the greatest golfers, probably the greatest golfer in history, he's won more major competitions than anyone else. He's won more money at golfing than anyone else in history went into a slump. And that slump was for a variety of reasons. Some of it was his personal life. Some of it was emotional, some decisions he made, and different things. But he, what he did is he hired a coach. 
And I guarantee you, the coach was not better than him. Otherwise, the coach would have been him. Okay, so he hired a coach, and what the coach did was got him back to basics, started looking at his swing, said, okay, Tiger, get up there and go, you know, act like you're going to swing, act like you, we're going to hit a couple balls and let me watch you swing. Oh, I see it. You're turning the club in your hand or you're holding it wrong. You're forgetting your basics. And sometimes what God's got to do in stuff like this, he's got to go, I need to get you back to basics. Because what we need to do is we need to know, all right, pastor, you've talked about trust for two weeks. How am I going to trust? I don't even know how to do this. Well, I'm going to get you back to basics. Number one, here's what you do. Number one, you need to make Jesus the manager of your life. You need to make Jesus in control of your life. You need to every day get up and say, Jesus, today you're in control. I'm going to do what you say, Jesus. Today you're in control. You know, there's bumper stickers that says, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot. Well, you need to get him out of the co-pilot chair. You need him in the pilot chair. And you need to get in the trunk and shut up. We don't even want you in the cab of the car because you'll talk. You need to get in the trunk. Shut up. And let him drive. And you say, why? Because he's the only way that know, he's the only one that knows the way. He's the only one that knows what to do. And the problem is, is see, it's not these major things that get in our pro. It's not these big areas of control. It's little ones. Do you understand we need to let him control our everyday life? Yeah. Every day. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you do that by this. Here, let me, I'm gonna give you step two. Is you establish God's word as the authority of your life. See, this is the problem. We're wanting Jesus to be in control. Therefore, we have to hear him. We have to know when he's telling us to go right, left, stop, hold, whatever, whatever he's telling us to do. But the problem is we don't know his word. Now, here's the thing. This is the thing. This is the dynamic that I want to teach you in this. Please do not be so simple to think that the word of God is one-dimensional. The Word of God is a living book. It is alive. It's powerful. It meets you where you are at in life. Now, the Word of God, studying the Word of God, what it does is it produces the ability within us to actually hear and understand revelation about God. Now, I'm not going crazy. I'm not saying that God's going to give you, you know, another book to add to the Bible. I'm talking about that God will begin to speak to you through his word, about his word, and ultimately about him, and you will become more and more familiar with his voice so that you recognize when he's speaking, so that you know that was God, that wasn't. Because, and, and, and somehow it happens, even in the most obscure scriptures, you can be reading the begats, that Billy begat Timmy, and Timmy begat Joseph, and Joseph begat Bartholomew, whoever, and you're like, what in the world does this mean? It's there, and it's alive, and it's powerful, and it opens our spirit up to hear him. Yeah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
and it comes alive. That's why the word is so important. So we need to make Jesus the manager of our life. We need to establish the word of God as the authority of our life so we know what to do and so that we, Jesus put it this way. I love it. Jesus probably was from the 1970s. He would say this, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. Or in 1970s CB vernacular, if do you got your ears on? Breaker, breaker, one nine, do you got your ears on? Are you listening? I just saw some young people look, what was it? Back in the 1970s, when you weren't even thought of, they had a big box that was in trucks. It was kind of like a cell phone. What it was is it had a microphone, and you could talk to other people in trucks and cars that had other radios. But to get on there, you had to go breaker, breaker, one nine, because one nine was the channel, or what, how many ever channels you had. My handle... was called the cookie duster. I'm not joking. Shannon, feel free to put that on Facebook because I know that you will. My dad's handle was Diamond Jim. Yeah, so it's like breaker, breaker, one nine. Hey, Diamond Jim, you got your ears on? That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, he's going, John, do you got your ears on? Are you listening? Number three. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there, we could, we could, I could digress into an hour of, of comedy here, but we won't. Number three, you need to embrace God's spirit as the power for your life. And this is where it gets a little difficult because a lot of people, they want to shy away from the spirit. But the Spirit, see, the Spirit is not the black sheep of the Trinity. He's not crazy Uncle Ed that comes only around on Thanksgiving. He's, he's the essence of what God's doing. He's, 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 he's the one that holds your life. He's the one that empowers the Word. He's the one that is going to, it's through His Spirit that all these things are going to happen. And here's the problem. We get so afraid of Him because we don't know what He's going to do. You know, what if He, what if He, you know, he look, He's a gentleman, He's not going to make you do something that you don't want to do. He's not going to, you know, take your hand and flop it around. And you know, If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. The Bible says this, that the gift is under the control of the one it's been given to. You can control it. Okay, the problem though is we get afraid. And so what we do is we, we resist it. Do you know there's a spot, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. It says these words. It says, my, it says, brethren, I would not have you ignorant of spiritual gifts. But if you go back into the original language, into the Greek, into the original manuscript, the word gifts has been omitted. In other words, the original statement was, brethren, I would not have you ignorant of the spiritual there was the implication of gifts. That's why they added the word. But let me tell you something. God does not, if when God says, I don't want you to be ignorant or something, he don't want us ignorant. He wants us to embrace the spirit. So hence, tonight, at Breakthrough, in our worship service, we're going to be contending for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to be out. It is an essential part of Christianity. It doesn't make you a better Christian. You don't go running around to people that aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit and saying, see, I got something you don't. That's not what we're talking. It's, it's an empowerment. It's, a, it's, it's God. It's being baptized in his presence and all that he is and, and an empowerment for what 
he wants you to do in your life. And finally, as we close, we need to keep Jesus the focus of our life. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12. It tells us to consider him unless we fall weary and grow faint. The Bible's telling us that we need to keep Jesus at the forefront. He said, what does that look like, Pastor? That looks like that everything that I do, see, when I go to work, if somebody asks me, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to work. No, no, I'm, I'm gonna go work at this company unto the Lord. I do everything I do as unto the Lord. I'm gonna go to Denny's today and eat lunch as unto the Lord. I know that, I'm, I know that that's silly, but and sometimes what we have to do is we have to come back to that simplicity and go, wait a second, this life is not about me. Paul wrote it this way in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He goes, the life I now live, he goes, I'm dead. He goes, the life I live, I live in Christ. I've been crucified with him. I'm dead, but I'm alive in him. It's about him, not about me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You do that kind of thing. You keep Jesus the manager of your life. Establish his word as the authority of your life. Embrace the spirit and keep your focus on Jesus. You will grow exponentially in trust. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you so much, God, for all that you're doing. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this revelation. And Father, I do pray for every person in this room today that Lord, that may be facing difficult things, things that um, may be catastrophic, maybe things that are very difficult and don't know what to do. I pray, Father, that you come alongside them, that you will strengthen them and remind them that you can be trusted, that you are, in fact, good. That, Lord, that you have their back, that you're gonna be with them, that you're gonna walk with them, that you will strengthen them. And though they may not always understand what's going on, Lord, they may not always be able to see far down the road. You will order their steps and you will bring your comfort and you will bring that peace and you will love them. And Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you. And Father, I just give you the glory. I wonder as every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here today in this place and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I I don't know Jesus is my savior. I'm not right with God. But you'd like to give your life to Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand up? Would you raise it up? Amen, I see that hand. Amen, I see that hand. You could put it down. Anyone else? Maybe at one time you walked with God and now you find yourself out of relationship with him, but you'd like to rededicate your life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? Would you raise your hand? Amen. Praise God. Would you do one more thing with me? Would you take this moment and pray with me? Would you pray this prayer? Those, in, in fact, Could I have the whole church pray this prayer? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sin. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died and rose again so I could be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you that raised your hand, there's one other thing that I want you to do. And it's not tough. Here in just a minute, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come up. And they're going to come up. They'll be standing here. If you raised your hand for salvation or rededication, would you come up and would you talk with one of them? Just tell them, hey, you know, I rededicated my life or I gave my life to Jesus and let them minister to you. Would you do that? I, I appreciate it. Thank you. 
Praise God. You're such a good church, man. You are a great church. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to release you today. We want you to go. We want you to have a great day. Remember, tonight, 6 p.m., right here in the sanctuary, Breakthrough. Come on out. Bring somebody. Bring a friend. And uh, we'll love you. God bless you. Pretty. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.